0: Hello and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller. Liz on the Twitters.
1: I'm Ben Travers. i have Ben T. Travers on the Twitters.
0: And Ben has this amazing, happy look on his face right now because, and it, I have to say, I'm actually really excited because I asked Ben today, what are we podcasting about? And he, was, he lit up and he was like, I have this idea. I'm so excited about it. I want to do it. And he laid it out. I was like, that sounds great. So, Ben, tell us about your idea for this week's podcast, because it's a really good topic. It's a really important topic, very relevant, very of the now.
1: David Schwimmer should have at least three Emmys right now. (laughs) I mean, this is without doing the actual... um, Scientific research that I'd prefer to do when I when I which I will do when I write this article for right. IndieWire.com. Uh, if you're, to, if in you're listening to this, this podcast,
0: if you're listening to this podcast in an article embedded on IndieWire.com, you will have plenty of detailed analysis to accompany it.
1: Yeah, th- this this idea this idea emerged a few years ago when we were kicking around early Emmys coverage, and one of the things that stuck out to me was that poor Steve Carell had never won an Emmy for The Office. Yes. And there's a few examples. There's, a, there's actually too many examples to count of people who have done iconic performances and not been properly rewarded for them. Um,
0: no, I mean, it, when we talk about that, not to interrupt you, but, you know, when we say that they've never been properly rewarded, that means do you, do you consider it a travesty that they just got nominated and didn't win? Or, you know, is a nomination enough at some level?
1: Absolutely not. It would okay. be like if John Hamm never won for Mad Men. That is like true. That's the, Steve Grell never winning for The Office is the equivalent of that. Right. And one of the things that, even though he
0: was nominated, of, yes. Okay.
1: Sorry. One of the things that that people don't usually consider when they start getting really angry about these stats is is necessarily who they were competing against, mm. and. It's important for me. I always have an asterisk in my mind. It's like, True Detective didn't win drama series. True Detective, Matthew McConaughey didn't win best actor. Woody Harrelson didn't win best actor. But there's a nice, important asterisk that makes this a little more bearable, even though I still find it unjust, because they lost a Breaking Bad. It's like, when you're losing to Breaking Bad, you can't complain that much. You just can't bitch about it. So you have to consider who the competition was when this went down. So with Steve Carell, (laughs) I went back looked at each of the individual years and decided this is how many Emmys he should have won. Like, he lost to Jim Parsons for Big Bang Theory, and that's just outrageously wrong. Like, there's there's literally not a valid argument to be made for why Jim Parsons deserves an Emmy over Steve Carell for those performances back-to-back. No, it's ridiculous. Your, your best argument is that there were more of them, and that only applies in select seasons. Like, he did it more episodes than Steve Carell did, and that that doesn't necessarily hold any water anyway but the important thing is i haven't done this yet for david schwimmer i haven't actually looked back and done the comparisons year to year which i will do for the article so please look into that but i feel very safe in saying as of right now that david schwimmer should have three emmys at least three emmys for his performance on friends
0: yeah just friends
1: just friends
0: okay because here's the thing um, when you propose this, uh, my mind immediately went to a bunch of iconic season one and season two friends moments. Um, and I was like, no question. Like just the way he says cat in that one episode, um, like is, I would, yeah, I would give him a gold for that. Um, but also I think he was, he has... Also done other great work, so I'm not arguing. I mean, I the honestly, honestly, like the, this might be a really short podcast because I'm not really going to argue with you. Because my only question is, which shows should he have won for? Like he is really good in American Crime Story, um, and I don't remember if he was nominated or not. I guess he was. Not. He was? Yes, as a as a supporting. Yes. Thank you.
1: Um, but that's the thing; he doesn't deserve to win for that because do you know who won for that, Liz?
0: Courtney Vance.
1: No, absolutely not. Sterling K. Brown won for that.
0: <laughs> Wait, didn't Courtney B. Pants <laughs> win?
1: Courtney's lead.
0: Oh, that's right. Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah.
1: Sterling K. Brown won his first Emmy, and he was competing against Schwimmer. So it's OJ versus OJ, and that's fine. Like, I thought Schwimmer was great. Did I want him to win? No, because Sterling K. Brown just killed it. He was yeah, great. No, he I mean, it.
0: Uh, I just recently rewatched, as I was telling you, the. You know uh, the the O.J. Simpson's and yeah, no, all of the all of them are incredible. Sterling K. Brown is especially incredible.
1: But there's no point in complaining about those kind of losses. Just like I I spoke about with with certain aspects of Steve Carell's run when he I think he lost to Alec Baldwin for Thirty Rock, and it's like you know what, fine. Um, there's also and then uh, the True Detective Breaking Bad story, but there's plenty of instances in which David Schwimmer should have won. But the other problem is he wasn't even nominated. This isn't this isn't necessarily a Steve Carell problem, where Carell got a bunch of nominations and never won. David Schwimmer was only nominated one time for Friends, and I find that painfully poor judgment by the TV Academy. And sure. I actually think it, he was nominated for one of his more mediocre seasons. Like season one was the time he was nominated. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about season one. Friends got a whole slew of nominations, but only two acting nominations got up. Liz, can you guess which two?
0: Uh, Well, you just mentioned Schwimmer.
1: Correct. Very uh, observant. Good job. Check.
0: I'm going to go Courtney Cox.
1: Courtney Cox was never nominated for Friends.
0: Whoa. So Courtney Cox
1: is the only cast member of Friends to never be nominated for an Emmy.
0: So was it Kudrow then?
1: It was Lisa Kudrow. Okay. Lisa Kudrow went on to get six nominations for Friends. One she- once. Yeah. And then a bunch more over the course of her career. But, Swimmer, zero.
0: But for the record, by the way, the one Emmy that Lisa Kudrow should have won is for the comeback season two. And it is – that's another crime on the books.
1: It is it is a crime on the books. She absolutely deserved to win for Friends as well. The thing that's interesting about that first season of Friends was the nominations it got were the nominations it deserved. Like – I think if you hold up the performances of Friends, there's an incredible amount of great, like, they're all great. They all deserve nominations. But if you're forcing me to pick the top two, it is Kudrow and Schwimmer. They're the best consistently throughout the history of Friends.
0: I mean, if you were to put a gun to my head and make me rank everyone on that show just in terms of genuine, like, performance ability, I would have to, Kudrow would be at my top.
1: But like, it's not even it's not even performance ability. Or just it's like, their performance in Friends throughout ten years. Right. It's not necessarily that they have not a the range ability, outside like, of that.
0: But like what they were given to do, I guess, is what I mean.
1: Well, what they were given to do and what they did with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's what, essentially yeah. I mean, performance ability doesn't really actually compute as anything re- resembling a real sentence.
1: Or well, no, no, it's, It absolutely does. But it it to me it it definitely uh, includes you know, a range that goes outside of just one role. So, like, if you're talking about performance ability to me, you'd be talking Uh, about, like, Julia Louis-Dreyfus in Seinfeld, Julia Louis-Dreyfus in Veep, Julia Louis-Dreyfus in The New Adventures of Old Christine, in uh, Enough Said, like, a whole range of things where you're like, holy shit, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is amazing. She can
0: do all the things. But
1: she still deserves every single award she gets for Veep because she's that good in that one role.
0: Do you have actors in your head who are, like, they maybe can't do all the things, but they deserve an Emmy for the thing they can do really well.
1: Um, I mean the first thing that comes to mind is like Jennifer Hudson and Dream Girls, which isn't an Emmy thing. It's it's an Oscar thing. Yeah. But Jennifer Hudson I do not think is a tremendous actress in terms of like everything she can do across the board, but she was the best actress that year and she won. And right. that's that's supporting actress. And and that's fine. That that absolutely should happen. But what's interesting is I don't feel like, and this is going to get into the more relevant topic, as Liz somewhat alluded to at the start of this, uh, in that I think that the, one of the reasons that Schwimmer is overlooked, especially as Friends continued into seasons 2, 3, 4 through 10, is that people don't like Ross. People don't like the character he plays, so they are, and because they see the character and can be infuriated by the character, they are not willing to reward the performance behind it. Even though what he's doing as a performer, especially in the later seasons, especially in those seasons that people want to write off, like 9 and 10, He's amazing. Like, he, the way that he... You, you were talking about when he talks about when he has the cat. cat. To me, one of the things that pops to mind is when he's talking about fajitas. There is a ridiculous <laughs> episode of Friends in, like, I think it's season 9 or 10, when um, Joey and Rachel are trying to be a thing, and they come over to Ross's to have dinner with him and Aisha Tyler, and Ross is incredibly drunk because he's so awkward, and he's trying to prepare fajitas, and he forgets about them, but he keeps talking about it because he keeps going back and forth from the kitchen, and Schwimmer's... Drunken comedic performance in that episode is impeccable. It is a it is a perfect uh encapsulation of somebody who is incredibly awkward, incredibly anxious and yet just trying to persevere through something that he absolutely doesn't want to happen for the betterment of his friends. So there's an there's an honesty to it that's there, but he blows it so high out of proportion because Ross as a character, as a human being has already been blown out of proportion over the course of 10 years of friends. He had the shit kicked out of him for so long that he has to be a little bit of an unbelievable character, and Schwimmer grounded him. Like, Schwimmer was able to dial him back in whenever you really needed him to be that guy, and that's such a good episode of it. But because people at that point <laughs> really didn't like Ross, and they were just waiting for Ross and Rachel to finally get together, they're like, we're not going to pay attention to that role. Um, none of that was relevant to now, but what is relevant to now about that is the idea that that certain actors, as our Emmy nominations are about to come out this Thursday, certain actors may be ignored because the people just don't like that character. I actually think this applies to two of the things you have a buck about.
0: Yeah. No, because this is a this is a phenomenon I've been tracking uh, ever since I started covering uh, Better Call Saul. And in season one uh, of Better Call Saul, uh, you know, Jonathan Banks had this amazing episode uh, that really dug into his character's backstory. And he was rightfully nominated later that year for best supporting actor. Um, as best supporting actor, he didn't win. Um, but in season two, Mike took kind of a back seat. Meanwhile, Chuck, as played by Michael McKean, took a more forward seat. You guys have probably heard me talk about this before. But, anyways, point is, Michael McKean should have been nominated for best supporting actor. Jonathan Banks should not have been nominated. Instead, that's what happened.
1: But the crux of the crux of your original argument in that case was more about the fact that. Uh, Jonathan Banks wasn't asked to do as much as Michael McKean was yeah. in that season of, of Better Call Saul. Yeah, and
0: I feel like that's always – that's always, that's something I've been tracking really heavily, and it's <laughs> led to no shortage of Ben yelling at me in the office when I say things like Anne Dowd shouldn't be nominated for Handmaid's Tale Yeah, here. that's insane. I mean, I love her. You know I love her. And if she sh- did more than show up and deliver Handmaid's Places, I'd be all for her getting a nomination.
1: Her conversation with Elizabeth Moss, I believe in episode one or two – is just impeccable acting as reacting.
0: It's good. She's very, very good.
1: But that's the thing. Like she, she To me, she deserves a nomination, not because she, she's in it a ton and she's asked to do a bunch of dynamic things. It's because she's just that good with what little she's given to do. That being said, what you're talking about is, is another Yvonne actress.
0: needs to get the nomination this year Yvonne or Lillis Liddell?
1: Or, or all three. Like let's not let's not compare just within the show.
0: Or just let's just fill the category. Every every woman on the Handmaid's Tale should just get a nomination. Let's give the 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 kid who played a. There's a young lady on the show uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now, but she had a small role. That was actually a pretty significant role by the end of the season. She should get a nomination.
1: Liz, we're getting really far away from my very serious scientific point about David Schwimmer deserving three Emmys to you just going off on some weird tangent about how Handmaid's Tale actresses should all be nominated. That's (laughs) ludicrous.
0: I know. But I feel like I feel like to our credit, this is probably the only podcast anyone is listening to today that has managed to get from friends to the Handmaid's Tale in like two steps. God damn it, that was great. <laughs> yeah, we really did it.
1: But the interesting thing about both of the thi- both of the the ones that you've really honed in on over the last few years, right. uh, in terms of injustices at the Emmys, is that I like people fucking love Mike. Mike isn't necessarily
0: a likable guy. A
1: super good dude. But people love him. They love him from Breaking Bad. Right. They know what happens to him, so they're like that and they love Jonathan Banks.
0: And and to be fair, uh his character in Better Call Saul is pretty because of the prequel aspect, he's not quite as I don't want to say Mike was ever evil on Breaking Bad, but he was definitely not a good guy. Right. And here we're seeing him much more tempered. Um I mean, less so as we go on, but you know, he's like building playgrounds for his for a church in season 3.
1: Yeah. Let's- he's he's a much more likable character than Michael McKean. And what's interesting is Michael McKean's character is unlikable, but Michael McKean is very likable. And he's also been around for a while. Yeah. And this kind of butts against my theory of why Aunt Dowd was able to get a nomination even though she was playing an unlikable character because Aunt Dowd has been around forever. People really respect her, but they also know that off-screen she's one of the nicest human beings in the world.
0: Well, and I think it, it isn't really the the question of do you have to does a person have to be likable in order to get nominated is a really interesting question in in in, uh, in broad strokes because but uh, by the way I'm going to back does up because a your
1: person st- or a character
0: and so it's an and or for you like it, it doesn't have to be both
1: I don't think it has to be both I think it's more of an or like I think if you if you have a strong association with the person before the character. Like, if you know the person before you watch them as the character and you haven't an associated with them as, oh, I either, like, we've either seen them out and about and I know they're good, I know they're fun, I know they're nice, or you just, you know, associate them with another nice other character um, or plenty of other characters from the past so they're not tied specifically to that one person, then it should help that idea of them being dominated even though they're bad. Whereas if you only know them as playing a bad character, your association is going to be with that bad character whenever you see and think about them. So that makes them unlikable. And thus they lose out on voting. You know,
0: it's interesting. Some I mean, people
1: I'm, will still vote, obviously, but it, yeah. in overall, it hurts them.
0: <coughs> What's interesting is I'm, I, I just um, I just opened up uh, like last year's Emmy nominations for okay. and just scrolling through the performances, it you know there isn't anyone who's been nominated for just like a pure villain role with maybe the exception like in last year's Emmys, maybe the exception of Anthony Hopkins and Anne Dowd and well. But, you know, and yeah, in both of their cases, like, you know, like you said, the actual performer is very well liked and respected and known Mm -hmm. for various other things. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe your first association with Anthony Hopkins is uh, Silence of the Lambs. But, you know, there's also Remains of the Day kicking around there. Um, Yes.
1: Remains of the Day.
0: (laughs) He's very sweet in Remains of the Day
1: a great poll i don't know if it would be like the second thing that i immediately think of. what's your second like
0: anthony hopkins thing
1: well i mean it's probably westworld right now um hannibal red dragon
0: you were just Uh, naming more hannibal lecter uh, things
1: has he even been in anything howard's end (laughs) done
0: yeah it's weird actually Actually, I'm, I, just, I just I just clicked uh, on uh, his uh, Wikipedia page, and just like there's a whole subsection just devoted to Hannibal Lecter.
1: Uh, another example from last year De Niro was nominated for playing Bernie Madoff. Oh, Definitely yeah. a villain. Definitely. But again, same case. We know De Niro. He plays a bunch of people. You're not going to just think of Bernie Madoff when you vote.
0: You know what this is also making me realize is, like, I mean, on television, beyond. I mean, Game of Thrones is probably like the one show where, like, you know, Lena Headey gets nominated for playing Cersei, who is very much at a villainous place, but you know, does have like an undercurrent of humanity. But she's also not a performer of that. People were like, you know, I mean, where my Terminator: Colon the Sarah Connor Chronicles stands at. Uh, <laughs> there, there's some out there. That show had a, had a fan base. Um, but yeah, like she was, it was like she goes to that point of like she she might be like the one major exception I can think of to this whole thing. The idea that you have to be likable in order to get an Emmy nomination.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think there are exceptions to the rule. I just feel like this is definitely something that's damaging. I mean, and there's so many other things that go along with the idea of Yvonne and and uh, Michael McKean not right. getting nominated. A lot of it is campaigning. A lot of it is recognizing the structure of the Emmys and playing into what they typically do, which is nominate people who've already been nominated. It's a lot easier to get nominations for someone who has a good history with the Emmys than it is to, you know, shove somebody new in their face and make sure they're aware of them. Another problem that faces, I think, Yvonne especially, is that I don't feel like a lot of people, compared to other shows that are out there, are watching The Handmaid's Tale. So, like, they just may not know her as well as they already know and doubt, so they're not willing to cast the vote that way.
0: Well, I would—I'm going to— I'm gonna challenge you on that a little bit, just because uh, there were five seasons of a show called Chuck, um, and I know you didn't watch it.
1: Uh huh.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying, being a series regular on a show for five seasons gives you a certain level. Like, I don't want to ma- I don't want to play the Google Trends game at this moment, but are we gonna have to play the Google Trends game?
1: No, it doesn't matter. Like the 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 idea. First of all, Chuck, you. Definitely maybe think of Zachary Levi, but it doesn't matter because Chuck never had any sort of prestige behind it. You can't say Chuck and earn somebody's respect and be like, oh, my God, we got to nominate somebody who was in Chuck for an Emmy. That doesn't fucking work. love <laughs> how offended you are by
0: that. It's, I mean, it's a makeup Emmy for her work on Chuck, Ben. Yeah. That's what I'm arguing Good right now. Good luck with that
1: campaign. That will explain why she's not nominated again this year.
0: So you think working, being on Chuck was a detriment to her career? I
1: don't think it was a detriment. I think it's a neutral factor. I think it's the same as not being known. Like, you have to have a presence to crack through and you've got, like, 15,000 people voting for you. So uh, I don't see that as something that's going to help. And then the idea that if people will associate her with uh, – if they if they happen to associate her with Chuck, that might help – distract from the idea that she's in handmaids but i feel like everything has to go into what she's actually doing on handmaids which is playing a rather villainous role uh that people don't like that is the adversary for elizabeth moss character so that makes it difficult just like people didn't like ross which is widely debated a lot of people do like ross there's a contingent of ross defenders i'm not actually a huge ross defender to be clear i'm a huge David Schwimmer, defender. David Schwimmer did an amazing job with a right. difficult part. Yeah. And again, that's what we should be talking about because nothing's more important than David Schwimmer getting <laughs> recognized for his lack of recognition in a year when he's not eligible for any awards.
0: Happy Friday,
1: everyone. Yeah. Well, it's Monday now for them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Stay sorry.
0: With sorry. Time. Time is a flat circle. Uh, <laughs> well, I think actually, I'm before. I feel like we we. We you've kind of made your point here but I do I do feel like it's worth clarifying especially for those who haven't revisited Friends in a while. Why people who didn't like Ra- what? Who's that? I don't know. It's on Netflix. I know some rando who was busy watching other shit. It's I don't the know.
1: greatest sitcom ever made. Why aren't you watching it? Especially now you're, you people got to be a little bit down in the dumps. They're, the world's rough. Watch yeah. some Friends. It's great.
0: Okay, but as a as a catch up for those people before they get to it um why would why would you consider Ross to be an unlikable character? On
1: uh, well, Ross Ross is Ross is an unlikable version of a sitcom character because um, most people would argue it's his fault that Ross and Rachel weren't together throughout the run of. Yeah, the,
0: they were on a break. Is bullshit.
1: They were on a break. Is absolutely hundred percent valid. He just shouldn't have slept with someone while they're on a break. Yes,
0: that's it's why I'm a, saying. That's why. That's why they were on a break. Is bullshit.
1: No, they were on, being on a break is absolutely legitimate. You go on breaks all the time. When you're on a break, that's a breakup. But you
0: don't. But you don't sleep with someone.
1: You shouldn't sleep with someone after a breakup, no matter what goes on, just because you're not in a good space for that, and it's not going to be helpful to you. Especially, well, in your when you're in Ross's situation, which is he's still very much in love with Rachel. He, he shouldn't be going off to sleep with somebody else because it's just going to complicate things. Like, it's just going to hurt the friend group no matter what. So he was just in a bad space and he made a mistake. But they were on a break. So she doesn't have any right to tell him what to do. But anyway, this is at the crux of, of, of what started the kind of dislike towards Ross. Then over the years, Ross started to make rather, rather extreme decisions that were hilarious. But... Pushed him into a really bad place. So after the the whole we were on a break, split up with Rachel thing, I mean, he, he gets he gets married to Emily. Right. And, I mean, people pretty quickly recognize that this was a... a, a Poor choice. Yeah, but, but like a rebound kind of situation. And it's hard to watch someone in a rebound situation when you know that, but you can't communicate it to them because to them it feels so real. It feels like something's actually happening. Um So that whole arc became somewhat infuriating because you're waiting for Ross to kind of snap out of it, and he doesn't. And putting the crux of the future of Ross and Rachel on Rachel to stop him from doing that is, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to put on somebody who a lot of people see as a victim. So instead, it's easier to just blame Ross for being a dum-dum and getting married in England to some person he met while uh, he was in a really, really bad place. And then from there, it just it just kind of spins out of control. Like season five is a great example because by season five, Ross and Emily are through. <laughs> he he'd kind of won some points back for breaking it off when, uh, when she demanded he never see Rachel again, and he's like, listen, I can't do that. That's insane. Um, but that's not enough. It's not a, it's not going to win everybody back. But he, so he starts he starts. Uh, he starts kind of spinning out a little bit. You know, he tries moving in with the guys. He becomes the annoying roommate who's always telling them to keep it down, even when these boxes are everywhere. And he's not actually doing anything productive. Um, he's, he's like, conveying, like, a group of, of women together to try to convince them that, you know, he's an eligible bachelor and he's not still in love with... Well, actually, that's that's six. That's six or seven after oh he accidentally God. marries Rachel in Vegas. But these these events just start building because he starts to think of himself as a guy who's been divorced twice. Then he's a guy who's been divorced three times. The whole, you know, mistaken marriage with Rachel was something that really tested viewers' patience as well. Uh, but he's also the guy yelling about his sandwich and the moist maker. He's given all of these pretty ridiculous storylines uh, that are really funny. Like, they're really funny sitcom storylines, um, but mainly because R- Schwimmer pulls them off. Like, maybe, mainly because when you think about him talking about his sandwich. What makes it so funny is Schwimmer's expression when he kind of like raises his hands to his face and like just can't even look at the person who threw away his sandwich anymore and rubs them and then just slowly but steadily raises his voice to a level that scares pigeons from miles away. Like it's 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 that part is in the writing, but the execution of it is completely dependent on Schwimmer and He's not being respected at that point because his character is just such a ridiculous person. But Schwimmer does so well with that ridiculous person that he deserves your respect. It's easy to write off Ross and just be like, God, Ross, you're such a mess. Like, I don't like I see I saw it all happen to you. Your first wife was gay. Your second wife was a rebound. Your third marriage was in Vegas when you were drunk. But like also get up off your ass, apologize to Rachel and just, you know, confront that you were in love with her. That was one of the things that drove fans mad about the whole Ross and Rachel waiting thing. It was that a lot of it just came down, even at the very end of the show, to Ross just admitting it. And he wouldn't do it. So again, people, people were a little fed up with him. But Schwimmer, Schwimmer was extraordinary.
0: Benjamin, thank you for your very thorough answer to my question.
1: You're welcome. I'm so very disappointed in the TV Academy. And Liz, I have a question for you. Go. Do you think that this this level of engagement with my fury um, at this time before the nominations come out is a good or a bad idea? Like, do you think it's going to help me when something bad happens on Thursday? Or do you think it's going to be like, oh, shit, Ben's already primed to be real angry if the Americans get shut out of the drama race? No <sighs> um, oh,
0: God, you said it out loud. Now now I'm concerned. Um, you know, it's curious because I'm trying to think of how, how I handle these sorts of situations where it's like, you know, I can't get mad at the way our country treats immigrants today because this stupid thing happened on this sci-fi drama I'm watching. Um, like, that's it's a weird way of deflecting that's not healthy or particularly good in any respect. Um, well to
1: be clear, I don't see this as a deflection. No, you this see it as a pre-engagement.
0: You're just basically taking it as like this is another reason why you hate the TV Academy.
1: Well, it's more like I'm revitalizing my anger in preparation for what they're about to do.
0: Here okay, I'll tell you I'll say this. What if
1: Modern Family gets nominated again?
0: Then don't say those <laughs> awful things out loud. <laughs> um here here's what I'll say. The day I get worried about you is the day I come in and there's a stack of flaming trades in the middle of the office and you're building, like, yeah, there's this, yeah, that stack right there. Um, <laughs> I've got it lighter. Um Not matches. Um, yeah, so there's a stack of flaming trades in the middle of the office and you're sitting there, like, paper mache, like your own, like, Ben Travers special awards, the Bennies, for for to start sending out to, like, you know, and out and Carrie and Matthew and all that.
1: God, yeah. They, I mean, I, I might have to legitimately steal an Emmy if they don't give it to Carrie this year.
0: Well, I know how to, I know, I can t- I can talk you through the process of asking to hold somebody's Emmy. So I'm not this, worried about it. What? I couldn't
1: ask them to hold it either. I'd have to take it from them. They couldn't know it was me.
0: <laughs> no, it's going to be ha- hard
1: enough convincing Carrie to keep it when she looks at it and says, this is outstanding documentary series or whatever. Like, <laughs> That's gonna be awkward, but I think, I think she'll get it.
0: I think I I don't think she'll ask too many questions.
1: Well, I also think I think she's gonna win. You think? I she has to. New Star Wars star Carrie Russell, new Queen of the Universe Carrie Russell.
0: Mission Impossible Three star deserves
1: to fucking win an Emmy.
0: I just do you know the the beautiful part about her being in Mission Impossible Three? What's that, Liz? Um, the whole pitch for Alias. Uh, the show that J.J. Abrams made that Tom Cruise then watched and was like, you should make a Mission Impossible movie. The whole Pitch for Alias came out of the writer's room for Felicity where they got really fucking bored near the end of like season three or something and they just started joking about like, what if Felicity was a spy? And then they went ahead and made the show where Felicity was a spy, but they couldn't cast Felicity in it because Carrie Russell was already in Felicity. So instead they cast Jennifer Garner, but then eventually Felicity got to be a spy. Mm-hmm. I think I've already told you that story before.
1: She has a, a an unbreakable bond with J.J. Abrams that has only led to great things. So yeah. let it continue.
0: Let it continue. Way to but go, let Carrie it Russell. continue
1: with an Emmy in her hand. Yes. And, and so that is the story. If she could, like, steal a couple more to give to Schwimmer retroactively, that would be great.
0: Yeah. Yes. The TV Academy, hopefully you're listening. Hopefully you've already decided to make right what you've done wrong in the past.
1: God, they would have a lot of work to do.
0: <laughs> you're telling me. Well, I actually I don't have too many. I mean, I don't know.
1: I'd take on that burden.
0: You if, take on that burden. If they
1: called me and they're like, Ben, convene a panel, I'd be like, No problem. <laughs> we're gonna fix this. We're gonna look back over seventy-five years of Emmys. We're gonna fix that shit.
0: Seventy. This is the seventieth anniversary. Seventieth 70th year. This is seventieth. Yeah. Last year was sixty-nine. It's Friday. <laughs>
1: Sure. <laughs> all right. Well, that's yep. it. Yep. I'm done.
0: <laughs> ben, ben has said his piece. He has made his point, and now all that's left is for him to say what the best thing he watched last week was.
1: Uh, um, I didn't prepare for this. I was worried about swimmer. <laughs>
0: You're worried, you can't be worried about Schwimmer if he has nothing on the table right now.
1: This is a delicate argument to make. I have to present it properly. Otherwise, again, he will be laughed out of the room. And that's unfair to David
0: Schwimmer. What is David Schwimmer up to? While you figure this out, I'm going to look up that.
1: I mean, I, I honestly think the best thing I watched this week was, was Sharp Objects. But, oh. I, I mean, I feel like I've mentioned that about seven times already on this podcast as either what I recently saw and enjoyed or what I'm looking forward to. Um, I'm sure next week's episode will just be about Sharp Objects because, I don't know, that seems like one of the few shows we both watch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but,
0: watch it, we'll probably react to the Emmys next week.
1: That's yeah, a little late. I don't, I don't. I might have popped a blood vessel by then. I don't know if I'll <laughs> be able to tolerate it. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I think Sharp Objects is great. I hope everybody watched it on Sunday. The premiere is is tremendous. Amy Adams is out of this world. Um, there's a great, great piece, uh, well, there's a great interview by Liz, uh, first and foremost, Oh, thank uh, you. with Amy Adams and Clarkson and, and Noxon, um, about the rage, the rage that women feel right now and, and how it's kind of, con- we're very con- mad at like, you, con- well, you should be, and how it's, you know, channeled through this show, and it, it's, it's got some great Amy Adams insights, um, and then also, once you've seen it, I feel like you should go back and read, uh, Todd's, Todd Vanderwerf's, uh, Vox review because he gets into um, the editing in a way that I really appreciated Um, it was I think he phrased it as something like the editing of the show is teaching you how to watch it Mm. um, teaching you how to engage with it in a a way Um, and I think that he does a great job of conveying how that's done before you've even seen it, but I think it'll have even more impact once people kind of get a, a glimpse at this uh, this remarkable premiere. But uh, anyway, great sharp object stuff, Liz. What's the best thing you watched last week?
0: Um, I'm just gonna. It's I I feel like I'm missing something. Like I feel like I did watch other stuff, but as pledged last week, I I decided I was going to binge my way through Twelve Monkeys. All four seasons, 47 episodes. Um, I completed this task in five days. It was a lot of fun. Um, it's always fun to watch, kind of like a silly—not silly, silly—but silly, like you know, you know, kind of, you know, a, a TV show that doesn't take itself too seriously has a lot of fun with what it does, and uh, you know, delivers a lot of good stuff. So, aside from the lack of makeouts, I had a really fun time watching the show. Um, I need to write a lot of words about it at some point. Uh, and th- those words will be available at, on indiewire.com as you listen to this. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was it was fun to just kind of like lose myself in something very, very distracting and very enjoyable.
1: That's good, Liz.
0: Yeah. What's the next thing you're looking forward to?
1: Um, I'm I'm looking forward to Bobcat Goldthwait's Misfits and Monsters on oh. True TV. Um I I haven't dug into it much, but. Uh, it's coming out on Wednesday, July 11th. Um, it is, I'll just read it. It's the new scripted anthology series that features eight twisty standalone tales, each in a different genre, including 1970s sci-fi, rom-com, and reality, though all are comedic in tone. Um, there's a slew of, of fun guest stars, including Danny Pudi, Melissa Joan Hart, Michael Ian Black, um, but shout out to friend of the show, Tara Barr, who yep. also will make an appearance. Um, and I believe she's going to be on the Comic-Con panel for it. Uh, I think she tweeted that out. So, Oh, that's right. Comic-Con's uh, happening. So that'll be cool. Uh, but it, it sounds fun. It sounds like a great summer show. Yeah. So um, if you have true TV or access to it, uh, get ready on Wednesday. Yeah. Something good, good, kooky.
0: Good pick. Good, good, good off-kilter pick.
1: Here's hoping. Uh, yeah. Liz, what are you looking forward to next?
0: Well, I'm going to make it a sci-fi twofer. Oh, um, boy. Yep. Yeah, uh,
1: Unprecedented for Liz.
0: Yeah, I've never, I've never chosen to do that before, but yeah, uh, at some point, very, very soon, within the next few days, I'm probably going to apply my same binge-washing skills that just got me through 12 Monkeys to uh, check in on a show called Winona Earp, which I've heard really fun things about. It's kind of more of a supernatural drama as opposed to, you know, pure sci-fi. Winona. 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 Do I have to make a big deal about that?
1: I don't think so. I I don't even know if it's right, but it should be because, I mean, it's wider, you know, descendant of wider. Oh, uh, I see So, yeah. Why nona? Yeah,
0: I. Here's here's what I know. Why
1: nona sounds sillier though, so you might be right.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm sure somebody will. I'm sure somebody will happily write in and correct me in some way. Um, you'll find out soon. I'll find out soon because I will watch many episodes of the show. It's uh, entering its third season on Sci-Fi.
1: Yeah, that's not that many. Um,
0: uh, yes, two <laughs> seasons is nothing. Jeez. You got it. You got it. I got this. Um. But, yeah, I I don't know a lot about this one. Like, I don't have a lot. I I know it's based on comic book. It's got really strong female characters, great LGBTQ representation, apparently. And she has a magic gun that I think kills the undead. I'm not – I'm actually kind of excited about the part where I don't know a ton about the show going into it. I'm going to discover. I'm going to learn as I go. That's always great. Yeah. So that's what I'm looking forward to. It's
1: got great fans.
0: It does. It has a really great fan base, and I'm not at all mad that Sci-Fi sent you booze and not me. But
1: well, I've been talking to him about it.
0: Why, uh, that's right, because it's Comic Con. Yeah. Oh, Comic Con. That's what I'm looking forward to is Comic Con. Yeah. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing. Yes. Love Comic Con. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be great. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, you're going to be able to read all about that and more on IndieWire.com, where, you're, where, where you will find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like.
1: And don't forget to listen to IndieWire's other terrific podcasts, including Screen Talk podcast with Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn, uh, the Turn It On podcast with uh, our very own Michael Schneider, and of course, the great, the perfect, the wonderful, the man who needs new adjectives created to describe his brilliance, uh, Chris O'Fault and his Filmmaker Toolkit podcast.
0: That is correct. You can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers.
1: You can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and then an E.
0: Correct. Uh, We will be back next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. And guess what? You know what you should do? It's hot out, so you should keep watching television.
1: Like friends.
0: Yes, like friends.
1: David Schwimmer. Emmys.